2: All right, welcome to this week's edition of the Knock and Effect uh, podcast. It's very special this week because my co-host Justine is here. Hello, hello. As is in the very booth, the, the very booth the very booth is the professor himself,
1: Roger Hurst. Hello, everybody. Hi. This, is, this is How are you like in New York, by the way? It's good. It's um a bit on the warm side, I think, for this time of year. So, But it's great. Loving being here. Um, got over here uh, two or three days ago and, and fitting in quite nicely, I think.
0: You brought the rainy
2: weather with you.
1: Yeah. Well, it started drying out in the UK, so I thought I'd better get over here quick and uh, get here for the storms and stuff.
2: Yeah. Yes. And this week, what you've been looking at and you talked about in the video is we, we
1: got to try biltong, which is a... Uh, some kind of a beef uh, substance, I think. That's right. It's well, its beef is often um, impala as well, but it's normally from South Africa. It's dried and cured, so it's quite sort of chewy and tough and very, very salty. But it's a meat product from Southern Africa. I think they get it from Botswana and Namibia and uh, and other places. It's
0: kind of like a beef jerky. That's how I would yeah, describe it's, it. It's,
1: it's kind of nicer. But 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 the reason you were
2: talking about it is it's actually something similar to a lot of other stories we've been talking about on the on the podcast, especially lately. Um, we had an episode with, with Raoul Pal, and he mm-hmm. talked about how what's going on in Turkey, um, you know, it's just the, all these things are pulling on the dollar, or rather the dollar is pulling on all these emerging markets. And you have a very interesting way of looking at that brings us from this uh, this jerky-like substance to large-cap tech stocks. So what's
1: your thesis here, Raj? Well, I think the cheaper built on is going to lead to higher prices for large-cap U.S. tech So um, it might seem like a a little bit of a a distance between the two. But what we're seeing here is another um, of these risks in emerging markets or another bit of pain in emerging markets. And I think that pain in emerging markets is directly going to lead to – better outlook in some ways in the short term for large cap U.S., but then that means basically U.S. tech companies.
0: And it's funny because we start here with Biltong, mm-hmm. and we've started with hazelnuts yeah. um, in Turkey. We've started with a bunch of different food products. And so how- I've learned
2: so much about foods through the course of this show, which is yeah. not what I expected, but-
0: Well, I mean, so in this case, if we're taking a look, uh, a different look at emerging markets, starting with Biltong, starting with South Africa, starting with the South African Rand is where I imagine this is going. Mm-hmm. It's sort of a, a niche way of looking at the larger problem that exists right now.
1: That's right. And I think the question that a lot of people have been asking is, you know, is this any more kind of idiosyncratic risks in these countries? Because these countries have a lot of governance issues. And people say, well, that's because Turkey's badly run and uh, you know, Argentina's badly run. South Africa, maybe not so badly run. You know, there are issues there. But do we now say it's no longer idiosyncratic risk because of badly run countries, but actually it's a contagion story? Mm. And therefore, does it actually move away from being specifically about these emerging markets and actually more about maybe the strength in the dollar and the forces that are driving the dollar slightly higher at the moment? And I think personally, I think it's more about the dollar than it is about the emerging markets. So so you can look at each individual country just to... to if I'm getting you right,
2: that you can look at each individual country and say, oh, yeah, you know, Turkey has this problem, South Africa has this problem, Argentina has this problem. But really, it's more about the macro environment. It's almost like if you looked at a tech stock in 2001, you one you'd say, oh, yes, well, they have this problem with sales. Okay, maybe they have a problem with sales, but it's really the, the whole tide is turning together.
1: That's right. And I think, you know, if you went sort of back a couple of, well, nearly a year or so, um, would you have said these countries had governance problems 12 months ago? Well, they did. Mm. But what was different back then is that the dollar was on the back foot. And that kind of begs the question, well, why was the dollar not doing so well last year? Because the world was rip-roaring. And that's the key is there's this thing called, we talked about the dollar smile. And when the world's doing really well, even if the US is really strong as it was last year, Um, Other currencies which have a higher beta, which means they move more than the dollar does for every percentage move. We see these bigger moves than, let's say, a Swiss franc or a euro. Uh, These countries move a lot more. And so these currencies were doing well when the global environment was really strong. But that's changed this year.
0: And so why do you think it changed? What was the sudden shift?
1: So what we had was, a, I would say, a China-led recovery from 2016, where China liquidity was one of the key drivers. And that helped this sort of global growth perspective, in which the U.S. was part and parcel of. But then what we saw was the, the divergence of central banks, and the Fed is very key here. What you've got is very clearly a strong U.S. economy. I mean, we had ISM last week at 61. This is the, the manufacturing survey. As you know, your unemployment level here is 38 3.9%. And so you've got a Fed that really can't not raise rates because the conditions, the financial conditions in the U.S. and therefore kind of across the globe are very, very low. So it gives the green light to the Fed. So the Fed's been tightening. And finally, this thing called rate differentials, so U.S. interest rates versus other countries are starting to widen out and the dollar's now reacting to it. And the dollar's now reacting and getting stronger, which means these emerging market currencies are weakening. And... That's a bad situation for these countries. So
0: it's kind of a, a cycle that's happening. So right now, mm-hmm. rates are rising in the U.S. Um, that means that more investors are bringing their money to the U.S. There's more demand for dollars. Uh, dollar strengthens. But then that puts more pressure on emerging markets. Their currency weakens. And then they run into a lot of problems because, I guess, they have a lot of debt, too, that's denominated in U.S. dollars.
1: Yeah, I think there's two elements to it. One is the what they call the external debt. So how much debt do they have in external currencies, which basically means the dollar? And when the times were good and, you know, you think things are good, so you over leverage yourself. And a lot of these countries increased their debt. And that was in dollars. The other thing that happened is that because these countries look to be doing well, if you're a U.S. investor and you've got loads of dollars thinking, well, what should I do? Where's the best return? You might look at some of these emerging markets to get a high yield or a higher return. So Americans put their money into these emerging markets. And that was fine. Whilst these emerging markets had currencies going up, equity markets going up. When that turns, the whole thing goes into reverse, and we're seeing that going into reverse at the moment.
2: So, so U.S. investors are um, kind of seeing what's going on with with dollar, and they're they're chasing the higher returns, and they're also pulling their money out of these these
1: other countries. Yeah, that's right. And I think if you look at, for instance, where two-year yields in the US are right now at 2.6 percent, about 12 months ago, they were significantly lower. And that means that people are happy to bring their money back and get a return on it, even in short-dated instruments. Mm. Um, And then you have this problem, which is before, you know, because of passive investing, you pour your money into the emerging market index, which is everything. And then when you see one country in that index going under or going, having difficulties, you take your money out of that index, which means you dispassionately sell all emerging markets. And that's what a lot of U.S. investors and global dollar investors are doing. They're just dispassionately selling emerging markets because of the one or two that had bad governance that have kicked the process off.
0: So in the same sense, selling begets selling, but then in another case, buying begets buying. Because um, if you look in flows, um, a lot of money's been going into U.S. markets. But it's crazy because we're at all-time highs. And then it's sort of the idea that we can keep going higher and higher and higher. And so then more money comes into
1: it. That's right. And in some ways, this incredible disparity that you've seen between US equity markets and global equity markets. And that's one of the things when we talk about equities in a bull market, we're really talking about large cap US. Emerging markets aren't, Europe isn't. It's money coming back to the US, finding a home often in liquid assets. And in some ways, until this period of US outperformance stops, it might be that the US equity rally just continues. Um, So we could see significantly higher equity values even from here, even though everyone says, you know, it's a massively overvalued market.
2: So this is the connection between the the cheaper Biltong and the higher large cap tech stocks because the money is that's leaving South Africa, making Biltong cheaper for for us in the U.S. to buy, is also is basically going back into the U.S. going into shares of. You know, Apple, Alphabet, uh, Facebook—the the biggest, the, the names that dominate um, U.S. Uh,
1: stock indices. Absolutely, and probably the bond market as well. I mean, you, you know, everyone's mm-hmm. talked about bond yield should be at four and a half percent or one and a half percent, but they've been around three percent for six months money's coming in despite the fact that the fed's raising rates because it's looking for a home you've got reasonable yields in the US and you've got an attractive equity market so that equity market is doing well despite dollar strength because normally the S&P would struggle when the dollar's going significantly higher at the moment it's doing pretty well and very well against others
0: you were talking about dispassionate selling but i guess in this case there's also dispassionate buying
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Very dispassionate buying. It's just put it into the U.S. assets. And I mean, the one that everyone goes for is just going to be that, the S&P. And if you do that, you're targeting these large cap names. So Mm -hmm. they're going to be the biggest uh, beneficiaries in a passive world.
0: So then what could break the cycle? Because it seems like, you know, one thing begets another stronger dollar, um, begets weaker emerging markets, um, and that begets more money flowing into the U.S. And I mean, so it's just sort of this this cycle that doesn't seem like it will end.
1: That's right. I think the people looking at the US and thinking, when will the US roll over? And it's probably quite a way off yet. I mean, even if we peak today, we're going to be in a significantly high level on things like, you know, the ISM. Mm. I think the better place to look is, will there be a contagion effect from emerging markets? Will weakness spreading across emerging markets eventually disrupt the global market? Because the way to think about it is if you have capital destruction in emerging markets, then me as an investor will look at capital protection in markets where I'm still making money. So I might start hedging my U.S. exposure in a few months' time to make sure I don't lose any more. So I think the biggest risk would be, does the risk of contagion in EM eventually spread throughout the world, which is what we saw in 97, 98? So I I hate to uh, try to,
2: you know, see a difference between your views and your boss's views. But when Raoul came on to talk about Turkey—
0: And he's the CEO of Real Vision, of course.
2: Uh, When when he came on to talk about Turkey, his— thesis about it was that trouble in Turkey would, you know, basically suck dollars out of all these markets and lead to this global, uh, I, I don't know, panic, uh, 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 even global recession as, as all this money leaves. And then you have all these crises, um, which clearly is not going to be good for the U.S. I mean, that's going to 500 companies that, uh, sell as many goods to non-U.S. citizens as to U.S. citizens, I believe. So, so it, this is actually a, a pretty... Big difference because you, you and Rao would seem to agree on. And I, by the way, I encourage people to go back and listen to that interview from a few weeks ago. But you and Rao agree on most of the the first two steps, but then you have almost opposite views about what that will lead to. Unless I'm missing something,
1: it's purely a question of timing. And my own thoughts would be that the U.S. equity market isn't vulnerable in and of itself until the external forces come in. Now, the irony is, is that those external forces are sucking money out of the kind of global market into the US market, which makes things look better. Financial conditions are incredibly low, which allows the Fed to continue raising rates. It kind of gives this impression that the US is doing really well, and and it kind of is on a relative basis. But no one ever knows what's the point where it tips over, which is the rate hike which finally breaks the camel's back. And it might be that the US economy doesn't peak until Q1 of next year. So the equity market, yeah, it could peak ahead of that, but it's not an obvious place to say it's going to happen now. And I think yeah, there's a good chance that the U.S. can continue to outperform. So that is a, that is a different that is a difference of views. It, it, it's actually pretty interesting. I,
0: I see a lot of similarities, though, because I see in yeah. either situation uh, you are going to have a strong dollar. Because if you look back at what Roger was talking about with the dollar smile, the dollar does very well when the U.S. outperforms. The dollar also does well on the other side of the smile when uh, there's a lot of global weakness. So that's sort of a risk-off position. People want to put their money where it's the, the least dirty or the most clean, dirty shirt is, That's I think, right, the yeah. phrase. Um, and so in that case, a lot of money flows into the U.S. So either way, whether there is a global recession or if the U.S. continues to outperform, you're still going to see a strong dollar. It's only when you have emerging markets, when you have the rest of the world strong, that you get to the middle of that smile, the lowest point where um, the dollar is weaker.
2: But, well, I, I don't know, because the implications for U.S. stocks seem to be there seems to be two theories about the implications for u s. stocks because either this money is leaving these crisis-stricken areas, largely because of, you know stocks going up leads to uh, to more people chasing u s. stocks, but largely because of what's going on in the bond market due to the Fed. So all this money's coming into the u s. and going into to u s. stocks. And so uh, basically using using Roger's principle to assess Rao's argument, the the argument would be, well, it's almost like saying, you know, the restaurant's so popular, people are going to get annoyed that how popular the restaurant is, they can't get a reservation. They're going to stop going. So that would that would argue for a moderation, not like that. That restaurants going to close anytime soon because it's it's almost the conditions can sow the seed for the conditions to stop being quite so mm, ebullient, right? But
1: not lead to a crisis. I, I, the the question here, and I think this is. Uh, it goes back to the dollar smile, is that at the moment the U.S. is on the positive side of the dollar smile, there comes a point where does dollar strength create a global contagion event? And instead of going through the dollar smile where the U.S. is sort of underperforming, you just go straight from dollar strength because of U.S. outperformance to dollar strength because of global contagion and risk off. And I think that it's the timing of that shift, whether we go directly from one to the other. And Rao would say that we will go from one to the other, which means that you then get a real surge and a risk-off surge in the dollar. Can you go around the back of the head to get to the other side of the smile? <laughs> <laughs> it's not been known yet, okay. probably... and I think that and I think that kind of overall out view or outlook is is really the difference between the two views, and it's mm. a question of timing. But I think the contagion event is the big risk event that gets glossed over by the fact that we're still on the nice side of the dollar smile.
0: And right now, I will say U.S. corporate earnings are pretty good. Um, I just remember back in 2014 when it was – I was reporting on – earnings. And every day it was McDonald's coming out saying that earnings were weaker because of the dollar strength. Mm. Boeing coming out saying that it was dollar strength. We would start making fun of it because it was just almost humorous to see Mm. which company was going to be next to say dollar strength was hurting their profits. Um, But that that was a huge issue. And so we haven't seen that quite yet, but that might be something that that comes.
1: I think so. I mean, with the dollar at the moment is in the middle of the old range, so it's not broken to a new Mm -hmm. high. The big difference between now and when we had dollar strength a couple of years ago is in the position of those um, emerging markets, which levered up during those good times so that now when the dollar's going up, they're in a bad position. The U.S. itself is, is probably better off in, in terms of its economy. And we've not seen the level of the dollar yet, which is massively hitting those overseas earnings. And at, at the emerging market level, it's still a few countries which are going through a crisis, not the whole emerging market. But, but here, it's interesting.
2: I think you guys are actually talking past each other because what you're talking, Justine, you guys can't see me gesturing out there? Uh, Justine, what you're talking about is the fundamentals of the companies. And, Roger, what you're talking about is actually the um, macro environment and how it uh, affects sentiment. So. So actually, it's just a different way of looking at the world. So so in Roger's environment, it doesn't actually matter how much these companies are earning. There's just money going into you know the SPY or other large ETFs that end up flowing into the apples of the world, whereas you're kind of pointing out that it, it causes earnings problems. But, I mean, if, if, if valuations just
1: continue to rise, then it doesn't really affect the companies another way of looking at it is is take the other big tech stocks globally which are the chinese ones they've been having a terrible time in terms of their share price as money's been coming out of these emerging markets but actually their their actual earnings is still pretty good. So again, the relationship mm. between Chinese tech stocks and earnings is not really related at the moment.
0: And another key point is that what Roger mentioned before was that in 2013, 2014, we saw a huge spike in the dollar. And that was something that companies had to adjust to. Whereas here we are sort of, it's rising, but we're still within the range. So that is a key difference between what we saw before and what we're seeing now.
2: So do you, so Roger, do you think that it's going to break out of the range? I mean, do you, do you think the dollar is just going to really shoot, because if all all these countries fall into crisis, there
1: will be a rush for dollars No, I think so. And this is the kind of the key about the euro dollar market, which is the euro dollar market or international dollars, the availability of them. This is where everyone kind of borrows and sells them. Pitbull's uh, second most popular album. Which was it? International dollars.
0: Ah, nice. I like it.
1: The international dollar market is is tightening because the U.S. corporates have brought dollars home. Uh, and, and, so, and also, if you start to see a contraction in global trade, which we are seeing under this world of protectionism, then the availability of dollars does decline. So I think there's a big risk. When people talk you know, about the dollar should be weaker on these structural reasons, I still think that the dollar has to be extremely expensive, not just slightly overpriced, but at the point where people reject the dollar because it's too expensive. And we've not got to that point yet. So I think that the risk is that the dollar will eventually break out. I think there is an asymmetric risk to the upside from here. So we've been talking about,
2: you know, this will lead to that, will lead to that, will lead to, lead to that, and we've spent a lot of time at the final uh, destination. Uh, is that a movie?
0: E- yes.
2: Um, so we we spent a lot of time there, but let let's let's zoom back, and I'm going to put you on the spot, professor, because you, you're you're here, you made a special trip, you know, you are a, a world traveler, globe trotter uh, of sorts. Uh, really, a a, a per, you're a visiting professor here in New York this week. And so we've seen Argentina, we've seen Turkey, now we're seeing South Africa. Who's next?
1: I think the, some of the Asian markets will come under pressure. Not really think about China, but the way I look at it is which countries were the big beneficiaries of QE inflows. And a lot of that was Southeast Asia, including places like Korea. And your emerging market that's not an emerging market um, is Australia, because it was commodity-based. I think Australia was a big beneficiary of inflows of QE money, and I think that could be under a lot of duress in this scenario as well. Well, It's good for people who like New World wines, I mean, from South Africa,
2: from Australia.
1: uh, Turkey, I think, makes a little... There's a lot coming out of Eastern Europe. People forget about it, but uh, the the Eastern European countries, that's actually where wine originally came from.
2: Yeah.
0: Hmm. Okay, so now we have all new new, uh, commodities, ideas, and trades...
1: Look off to to Asia if you want to get nervous about something.
0: All right. Well, thank you guys so much, Professor. Thank you for joining us this week. And before we go, I do have a special announcement. A few weeks ago, we had a special podcast recording. So if you tuned in on Sunday night a couple weeks ago. So if you listened to the podcast, and this was our podcast on China and its waistband. um, If you listened to that on a Thursday or Friday or Saturday even, you would have heard the normal ending. But on Sunday day and if you tune in now you'll hear a very special ending that we have right here.
2: The the key to a good delicious cycle is that you just keep raising the stakes. Like you open a good port and so you bring really good cheese and you're eating really good cheese then you have to have a really really good port and then really 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 good cheese and you just you know it it, it becomes a, a very high level experience as it were.
0: So where are you going with this?
2: Michelle will you marry me?
0: It might have been a little confusing to some listeners a little jarring, as to where we were going. Yeah, a
2: little jarring. Um,
0: but do you have any update for us as yeah. to what happened? So,
2: so she had the funny thing is she had heard the podcast on Thursday because she's a loyal listener. Thank you, Michelle. Um, but so when I I kind of was playing it casually in the apartment on Sunday, I was like, oh, I gotta like listen down to the podcast for work. And so when she heard it, she her first reaction. Was not like yes, yeah, sounds great. I'm in. It was like, well, hold on. I, I heard the ending. I didn't hear this before. What and, happened? You know what happened? And so, so somewhere in there, I was like, I think I heard a yes somewhere <laughs> yeah, in there. But mostly confusion. But mostly, mostly confusion. But yeah. So, so she uh, she accepted the the podcast proposal. Oh, uh, and uh, we, we got a nice uh, got a nice dinner afterwards. And so, when's
0: the wedding date? I,
2: so I. Might be very soon. Might might, might do December. So wow, that's, very that's soon. That's the first knock-on effect for, for my life. But, wow.
0: Um, okay. Well, we'll keep you guys updated on.
2: How, how do you? Uh, the professor. I'm sorry. Uh, so, sorry to any aspiring professorats, but the professor happens to be a happily married man of stuff. How did you propose, by the way?
1: In the south of France, so we were on uh, not far from Saint-Tropez, and it was a lovely uh, end of end of summer's day, and I proposed on the balcony of the hotel suite. Aww. Lovely.
0: Aww. Okay. Well, that's well, well, be excited to hear updates. As uh,
1: yeah, I think I'll, I think I'll let you guys
2: let you guys know. And if anyone has a suggestion of uh, you know how, how to get married, just <laughs> sure. Looking I'm sure for a rabbi, you know.
0: Okay. Any well, any
2: any rabbis out there listening to the show? Just, we also uh,
0: might do uh, some knock-on effect themed uh, wedding shows. So I'm sure that there's a whole wedding industry that might be an interesting thing to look into. Sure. Yeah. Why not? All right. Well, thanks for joining us this week. And you can catch us every week on realvision.com slash knock on effect where you can sign up for your 14 day free trial.
2: Correct. And if you have a suggestion for the podcast, a comment, an idea of a future knock on effect, uh, perhaps you want to propose to someone yourself and and let them know uh, through our podcast for some reason I wouldn't understand. uh, Drop us an email at podcast at realvision.com.
1: And uh, I enjoyed the experience so much. I'm going to stay on for next week. Well, we'll
0: see you guys soon. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads.